forgotten lore. Yeah, that, that did it. I'm getting the little blips on it. Everything's good on your end, Riley? Yeah, it looks like it's going. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the, the last few times where my shit just crapped out, I think it had something to do with my um, wireless earbuds over Discord. They were just like, Discord did not like those earbuds. Oh, so okay. it would just freak out, and then it would crash garage band somehow <laughs> okay well I'm, I'm actually using wireless earbuds for the first time because i realized a few months ago that my yeah. extremely old macbook still works with wireless headphones wow and, oh nice um and so far it's fine but i guess yeah. we'll see uh i guess we'll see what happens um yeah but uh regardless uh welcome to the show everyone uh this is um well, um, if you're listening to this episode, then um, you've probably realized that we've rebranded based on the, the title and the, the image wherever you're listening to this. So where once we were Turn One Soul Ring, we're now um, Forgotten Lore. And uh, going forward, we're going to be focusing on, that's very bright, focusing on sharing the stories from lesser known sci-fi stories, nerdy movies, and fantasy fiction, uh, which is what is on the docket today. Uh, and even though we're changing some things, the show is still run and performed by the same people you're used to. Uh, so after a extended uh, hiatus, um, pretty much because I was upset about those headphones. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and without uh, any further ado, uh, let's get to the next series in the Magic the Gathering multiverse, uh, which is... oh. I was doing a little practicing myself. Oh, little, I see. A rusty <laughs> at this. Uh, which is explaining the events depicted in the Magic the Gathering novel Invasion. Hmm. So Invasion was originally published in October of 2000 and was written by who else but J. Robert King. And uh, if you remember, he also wrote the last novel that we did, uh, The Thran. That's right. Speaking of introducing people's names, want to say who we are? Yeah, we're Forgotten Lore. Oh, <laughs> I mean, us, oh, the people. Of course, of course, yes. It's, uh, well, I'm Kevin. I'm Riley. And I'm Ainsley. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's and been J. A hot Robert minute. King. Yeah. <laughs> yes. been a hot yeah. We're a little out of practice. Um, Invasion is the first novel in the titular cycle, and it's the culmination of almost everything we've covered in our lore content thus far, specifically the Weatherlight Saga. And uh, guess who wrote the other two novels in this cycle? Ooh, ooh, can I guess? You can guess. Is it J. Robert King? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Johnny he's, Roberts. He's a fan. He's a fan. I'm assuming it's Johnny. It's probably not. It could be James. Could be Jill. Could be Josiah. Could be J Jigger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at coming up with names, obviously. That's why he goes by his middle name. <laughs> <laughs> Jigger King. <laughs> it, that is probably why he goes by his middle name. It's probably a rough, it's probably a rough first name. Uh, people don't do that enough anymore. I like that when people do that. That's what you did for a I, while, I did it for and a then while. you just legally changed I it. I sure did. Yeah. Going by your your middle name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ainsley, uh, when I was born into this land in this world, yeah, uh, Ainsley was my middle name. And then uh, in recent times, I guess it was like three years ago, I legally made Ainsley my first name. 
Nice. Mm-hmm. I should do that. Oh, yeah, yeah you go by your middle name, too. That's right. You guys both do. I would yeah. something, Riley, I didn't know about you until very, very recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I should change it, too. I'm not a fan of my first name. I'm not. A, I wasn't a fan <laughs> of my first name, either. Yeah. No. Well, obviously, you guys go by your middle names. Yeah. Middle names. Mm-hmm. There you go. So the, the title of this novel kind of gives away what happens in it, the Phyrexian invasion of Dominaria. And if you want to find out more about what led to this, you can go back and listen to the other series we've done on these novels. I also wanted to mention sort of the reason why we kept everything on the same feed, you know, and changing our name, not changing the feed, was because all of our lore content is on that feed. So, you know, if, if you're interested in that, you can go back and listen to those episodes. We also have a playlist on our YouTube channel. Um... And I know on podcast apps, you can just make your own playlist. So anyways, as a brief refresher, we last saw our heroes on the plain of Mercadia. They'd vanquished Volrath and the Phyrexian forces there, repaired their damaged airship, and successfully plane shifted back to Dominaria. By that point in the story, the artificial plane known as Wrath was ready to overlay onto Dominaria, but Yawgmoth planned to first open several portals over key population centers to transport scout battleships that would pacify early resistance to the overlay. Now, it's unclear how long after Weatherlight's return to Dominaria these portals began to open, but this story begins with Weatherlight and her crew racing to Gerard's ancestral homeland, the Capuchin Manor in Benalia, to intercept the first of them. Oh yeah, okay. nice. But if J. Robert King wrote the last story, we'd we'd know exactly how much time had passed. This guy is detail oriented. Nice. So when they arrived, they found the familiar woodland surrounding the estate, but above them, the sky was cluttered with clouds. In their steaminess hung a vast <laughs> black hole. Steamy. Yes, steamy. <laughs> it's coastal. There's your Phyrexian portal, but where's the portal ship? Through gritted teeth, Gerard growled. <sighs> On the other side, in Wrath, or Phyrexia, or whatever. Makes it impossible to destroy from here. The portal was large enough to admit three ships the size of Weatherlight at a time. In the murky, black crimson void hung a hor- hung- he- It's hung. (laughs) (laughs) You hung. In the murky, black crimson void, huge and horrible figures appeared. Dragon ships the size of Weatherlight, cruisers thrice her size, and some larger still. Massive things covered in holes. Two of the cruisers spotted Weatherlight and nosed through the portal. And after thousands of years of preparation, the Phyrexian invasion of Dominaria had begun. The ships were enormous, the size of floating cities. Spiky rams led their prows, and behind them were rank on rank of scabrous ribs. The central hulls of the airship seems, seemed cancerous carbuncles piled atop each other. Hmm, cancerous carbuncles. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> next, next came flaring spines, razor wings, and clouds of oil soot trailing them. And swarming ant-like across them were Phyrexians. Sisse ordered her crew to battle stations for evasive actions and engage the massive vessels. Everyone was in their position in seconds. Tongarth and Gerard in the forecastle guns, Squee in the aft rig, Davis and Fusteam in the amidship rig, and a few other crew in various other gun encasements dotting Weatherlight's hull. She closed in on on the Phyrexian ships, and as they did, Davis gasped, What's Davis like? He was he's one of like the guys that survived from Arcadia. He was um him and Fusteam 
Um, <laughs> the baby a little picture. And he's is he a big guy? No, there he, he's like a little he's like a little wiry guy, like just like a pirate guy. <laughs> just like you know, this is a pirate's life Arr. for him. Yeah, okay. you can do a pirate thing. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay let me see. <laughs> They've got to have fifty guns per ship. How do we stand against fifty guns? <laughs> That's good. I like that. We'll stand and they'll fall. Sissy, take us between the ships. Such an order would have been suicide for any other ship, and possibly even for Weatherlight, if it weren't for her recent upgrades. Never before had she been so powerful. Sky Shaper, Juju Bobble, Bones of Ramos, Power Matrix. The engine had almost doubled in size since leaving Dominaria for Wrath, and it showed. It's got that juju. Oh, yeah. Weatherlight passed between the behemoth ships with a vengeance, her high-powered plasma weapons tearing the Phyrexian cruisers to shreds and avoiding every attempt to stop them. Davis was right about the amount of guns, but the Phyrexian ships were doing a better job of hitting each other when aiming for Weatherlight. With the cruisers losing altitude and a giant black plume of smoke, Gerard ordered Sissé to take Weatherlight through the portal so they could destroy the portal ship on the other side. Unfortunately, though, one of the Phyrexian cruisers fired a black mana bolt that struck the starboard side of Weatherlight amidship before she made it through the portal. It ate the rail and part of the gunwale and swept toward the starboard cannon. View steam strapped there, strapped there as inky mana spattered the cannon and fell on him. His flesh turned to rot and ash. Nothing left of him except a pair of legs. Yikes. Ouch. R.I.P. Fusteam. Wow. Yeah. I, don't know who, okay. I don't know who you are, who you were, but... Uh, He's a red shirt. Yeah. Be all right. I think I think <laughs> we explained a little bit more about his character uh, in the uh, in the Mercadian Mask series. Cause, oh. Yeah, he was he was one of like the few, few survivors of uh, of that series, but uh, didn't last long after yeah, that. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a pair of legs. Yikes. Know? And then after that, like somebody's got to take those legs out of there and like yeah. fix that stuff. That's a whole thing. Yeah. I'd get like Karn to do it or something. So anyway, uh, Weatherlight avoided all other attempts to stop her and went through the portal. Wrath was on the other side. And if you're unfamiliar with the artificial plane, you can go back and listen to our Bloodlines and Nemesis series. So on the other side of the portal, they found a Phyrexian armada and two more cruisers gingerly poking their bows through the portal into undefended Benalia. As they did, Weatherlight focused her attack on the portal ship and easily brought it down, the Phyrexian cruiser guillotined by the portal's closure, each half plummeting to the earth on their respective sides. <clears throat> Rather than continuing the fight, Gerard ordered Sissé to lay a course for the closest active portal ship. Now, I mentioned that the larger Phyrexian ship couldn't keep up with Weatherlight, but the dragon engines could. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Dragony. <laughs> Much like Ramos, these dragon engines were as agile and intelligent as their natural kin, and several of them pursued Weatherlight as she raced to the closest portal ship. Weatherlight had about a hundred miles to travel to the next ship, and when dragon engines caught up to her and began to attack, specifically the wings, Gerard asked Karn, Karn, can we fly without wings? Like a rocket, fast and fatal. It'll be almost impossible to steer... Not for Sissé. Fold the wings. Rocket us to the next portal. Rocket man. <laughs> dun, 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 portal, yeah. Yeah, we got to pipe in Rocket Man here. <clears throat> so while Karn was connected to Weatherlight's engines, the ship was an extension of his body, and he responded to, to Gerard's order instantly. 
Then the ship rocketed away from the dragon engines toward the portal ship. As they approached the next armada, which was quite a bit bigger, they formulated their plan of attack. Gerard decided they wouldn't be slowing down. While rocketing across Wrath Sky, they saw row upon row of Phyrexian troops waiting for what they couldn't say. There were too many of them to simply be loaded into transports, and it seemed they didn't even notice Weatherlight as she flew overhead. Her crew was obviously aware that they were part of the invasion force, but they were as yet unaware of Yagmoth's plan to overlay Wrath onto Dominaria. And just as quickly as they passed over the Phyrexian troops, they closed in on the next portal ship. The massive armada blocked Weatherlight from the portal ship, so Karn concentrated all her firepower into her forwardmost plasma cannon and fired. <laughs> You're so good at sound <laughs> I know. Much the way she tore through Volrath's flagship, Recreant, on Mercadia, Weatherlight melted a hole large enough to admit her through the Phyrexian armada. She passed through engine walls, ripped open carapace hulls, slew countless Phyrexian crew, leaving sinking airships hemorrhaging smoke and black oil. Mm-hmm. She didn't slow down, and right before they passed through the portal, each gunner concentrated their fire on one of the two pincers of the portal ship that were responsible for maintaining the size of the portal. Oh. Jeez. Direct hits. Uh, <laughs> direct hits. All, it's kind of risky, though, right? Because <laughs> yeah. what if it closes while you're going through? That hurt. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. So they were all direct hits, and they passed from the red skies of Wrath to the blue ones of Benalia, extended Weatherlight's wings, and slowed to watch the portal close. It didn't, though. Not immediately. Oh. <gasps> They watched as two more cruisers began nosing their way through the portal, then it snapped shut, cutting the front end off both ships. Much like the ones before them, they crashed into the Benelish ground. With the second portal taken care of, Gerard ordered Hannah to lay in a course for the next active portal ship. When Karn informed him that they would need to land, Weatherlight's engine was overheating, they needed to give her a rest if she was going to continue the fight. So, Gerard ordered the ship to land, but he stressed the importance of reaching Benalia City. If they weren't going to go after the third portal, they needed to get to Capuchin Manor to warn the Benelish leaders of the invasion. As for the third portal, two old men were waiting for it to open at that very moment on a lofty ridge in eastern Benalia. I'm picturing the two old guys from the Muppets. (laughs) Just (laughs) sitting on the balcony? (laughs) Yeah. Waiting. I was picturing Joe Pesci and Danny Glover from the hit film Gone Fishing. Okay. It's because they're not too old for this shit. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So if you know anything about these guys, then you know they might as easily have been considered two defending armies. Power armor encased their bodies, metallic, hypertrophic, veiny, and set with power stone arrays. Hey, these are J. Robert King's words. There you go. (laughs) Thick and throbbing, you know what I mean? Yeah, right? I was going to say, it's like metallic, hypertrophic, veiny, phallic. (laughs) (laughs) Whole armies had been defeated by them, but they were not truly men and hadn't been for a great many years. One was a millennium-old mage with short gray hair, mutton chops, and a pair of wide-spaced, veiny mustaches bracketing his No, head. it no, didn't I, say veiny. They're regular mustaches. It's, it's kind of like a Fu Manchu, actually, when you look at a picture of him. Yeah. Chops. The, ar- the armor he wore was a concession to his friend. Even without it, the mage could bring the heavens down to kiss the dust. Ooh. The other man was a near god who'd lived four times as long. His body was nothing but a convenience of concentration. 
Nothing but will held him in one place. He stepped among and between worlds as easily as other men stepped from stone to stone. For him, the power armor was vanity. He could have simply imagined the suit into being, but he loved to build machines. Urza drew in a deep breath of cool air and broke the silence. Do you sense it, Baron? Do you sense what Weatherlight has just done? Yes, my friend. I sense what they have done. Your savior and my daughter and their ship. The word sounded sharper than he had intended. It mattered little. Urza was oblivious to social slights. Splendid. Gerard at last is testing well. You said it was a mistake to create him. You said no man could live up to the destiny I assigned to Gerard. I said no man could endure Gerard's destiny. Shrugging his eyebrows, Baron added, We have yet to see. I only wish my daughter had chosen another man to love. It is dangerous business to love a savior. Hannah chose as her mother chose. Shots fired. At the reference of his recently deceased wife, Baron refocused their discussion on the third portal. They knew where it would be, and they watched as the sky opened. Blackness ripped a hole in blue as large as the other two portals. Urza gazed at it, knowing he couldn't simply walk through it and destroy the portal ship from the other side. If he did, he feared that Yogmoth would invade his mind and try to destroy it, as he did when Urza foolhardily attacked Phyrexia so many centuries earlier. I, I gotta say, I would have risked it, you know? Risk it for the biscuit. Yeah, just get in there. So, unlike the first two portals, small fleet ships and dragon engines shot from the yawning hole in the sky, while other, smaller still, single pilot jump ships configured like fleas. It looked like they were patrolling the immediate area for attack, and when they found none, the first of the cruisers made their way through. That's when Urza released his first offensive, a fleet of falcon engines, wondering if Yogmoth remembered them. In any case, they hadn't changed much since their inception on Talaria. Small, bird-like artifact engines that were designed to sniff out and destroy glistening oil. Oh, that glistening oil. Mm. And for all, the sm- <laughs> for all the might of the Phyrexian Armada, the Falcon engines tore through viewports and windscreens to find the torsos and heads of the Phyrexian pilots inside. Oof. Wow, they could put them together with the legs of that other guy, and you got a whole being. There you go. Yeah. Just a nice pair of legs. I bet they're just a great pair of legs, too. You know? You know? R.I.P. He's a working man. Once there, they lodged themselves in their targets and tore them to shreds with a series of rotating blades. Then, when their victim was dead, they sought out their next one. Their attack caused many Phyrexian ships to fall from the Benelish sky, but even more came through the portal from Wrath. In spite of that, a satisfied smile spread across Urza's face, and without taking his eyes off the aerial, aerial battle, he said to Baron, I knew this day would come. You don't have to revel in it. Sorry about that, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Easier said than done, I'm afraid. And say what you will about Urza, but he had reason to revel because at that moment, the next phase of his offensive rose from the surrounding fields. Enormous trebuchet arms uplifted giant baskets full of Metathran troop transports high into the air. Mm, Baskets? (laughs) Yeah, just baskets full of blue men. (laughs) So that's the best Urza could do. That's funny. You're not a fan of a basket. Well, no, because it's just a pile enclosed in a in a receptacle. What? I don't understand. What's wrong with that? Uh, just have things organized. Don't do piles. <laughs> well, let me turn that off. Yeah, Hashtag no piles. Off. Hashtag no piles. You have piles. You have piles. <laughs> you talking to me? 
No. I, I definitely have piles. You have piles? Riles is a pile man. You have piles, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he has uh, Riles piles. Yeah, Riles piles. That's what he calls them. Yeah. Riles piles. <clears throat> so in case anyone doesn't remember the Metathran, they were uh, a, a, a Urza genetically engineered a race of sentient humanoids to be the foot soldiers of his army. Uh, and if you want to find out more about their inception, we covered in our Bloodline series. Yeah, so if you really want to picture them in a giant basket, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, listen to that so you get the full picture. <laughs> like, I don't think he did the baskets yet, but... Uh, Still. Anyways, the, the baskets were basically ships floating up to the Phyrexian Armada that were full of Metathran shock troopers. Uh, the ships were simple in design and housed no engine. Only five power stones in the color of magic were embedded on their hull, equidistant. Yeah, they're woven Here we go. These wicker are the, hull. I don't know why you called them baskets. They look like ships. That's, nope. That's Picture that. a giant flying basket. <laughs> woven <laughs> little, wicker little, basket. Little handles. <laughs> yes. Going for a picnic. <laughs> <laughs> Is this me? So the five yeah. stones. <laughs> you must be taking so a sip the or five... something. <laughs> <laughs> so the five stones made the circular ships into mana magnets that were drawn inexorably to the most powerful source nearby, which in this case was the Phyrexian cruisers. Once they reached their target, the ships would clamp tight and the shock troops spilled forth, boarding the enemy vessel. Spilled forth. Baron looked on, saying, They will not survive the battle. They are bred not to care whether they do. So are the Phyrexians. Then they should be a fair match. Shots fired again. <laughs> <laughs> That's when... Uh, the, well, this story is like the... And I've tried to like pepper it in as much as possible with the line readings. But like this story is sort of like the culmination of Baron's and Urza's like married couple style relationship. <laughs> where they just like had it with each other. Um, so there's just it's a lot of bickering, which, which <laughs> is really enjoyable. So that's when Urza waved one arm, and a hundred more troop transports launched troop baskets launched into the right. sky to swarm a third cruiser just emerging from the portal. While the first cruiser, the one the Metathran had boarded, began to list and lose altitude. The Metathran had cut power to it, and in moments, their ships would detach and seek out the next cruiser, with or without them. After the first cruiser crashed, Urza decided that the time had come for he and Baron to wade into battle. Crystals in their veiny power armor lit, <laughs> and they rose into the sky to meet their enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Unleash the basket! <laughs> Fetch me my basket! I must put my veiny self in it! <laughs> They both fashioned protective shields against the third cruiser's attacks. Was it made out of wicker? (laughs) I think it was made out of Thran wicker. (laughs) Wicker man. (laughs) And as they approached it, Urza was the only one that actually made it to the cruiser as Baron was otherwise occupied with the dragon engine. After some coaxing, the Mage Master made the artifact creature his mount, while Urza used the Phyrexian cruiser's own ray cannon to sink it out of the sky. Then he rode it down to see what could be salvaged for the war effort. You're just thinking about wicker? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is this is perfectly good wicker. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I can't use any of this for wicker baskets. <laughs> I'll just ride my dragon instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. <clears throat> yeah, not the first time he's done that. Um, so Urza told Baron that after that, he had pressing business else- elsewhere and gestured to the sky beyond the portal, where Metathran warships and Saren angels were descending, letting him know the battle was well in hand. Then Baron dug his heels into the dragon engine and continued the fight against the emerging Phyrexians. So, while Urza's army dealt with the third portal, Weatherlight made an emergency landing in the walled metropolis that was Benalia City. As she did, Karn explained to the rest of the crew that she didn't need to be repaired, save for the gunner port that Fusteam had occupied. Just get rid of those legs. She just needed to rest. Weatherlight was mo- more of a living thing than a machine, and she could heal herself. Mm. So after what, <clears throat> and after what she'd been through, she need she only needed a few hours before she could deal with that third portal. Anyway, as they arrived, Benelish alarms were sounding and the city was mobilizing its military due to the fact that giant war black warships were emerging from the portal in the sky and approaching their city. Weatherlight eventually landed in an almost vacant courtyard. Normally, it was teeming with buyers and sellers, but at that moment, only a single wizened madman stood to meet them. He was shabby looking and wore gray robes and had in fact been proclaiming death from the skies for the past few days as we- and Weatherlight's arrival fulfilled that prophecy, at least for the locals who couldn't tell them from Phyrexians. But he hadn't remained in the courtyard to welcome Weatherlight. Eyes wrapped in a kerchief, the blind man simply did not realize Weatherlight had almost landed on top of him. That's when a group of angry looking soldiers marched in a line to line up to the blind seer and weatherlight crossbows leveled at the airship the blind seer turned to the soldier and berated them for trying to arrest him which wasn't what they were doing so they ignored him and the captain of the men addressed weatherlight oh there give account who are you and what is this thing what is your purpose oh (laughs) (laughs) merry christmas (laughs) <laughs> a wry laugh came from above. Gerard set one booted foot on the rail, le- on the rail, leaned on his knee, and smiled. <laughs> I'm Gerard Capuchin, scion of the first house. Then he rolled up his sleeve to display the Capuchin tattoo, a tower with seven windows. He went on. This is Weatherlight, ancient airship and Benalia's greatest defender. My purpose is to defend you in the coming war. The blind seer gladly backed up, backed up what Gerard said, but the soldier captain was in no mood to believe them. That's when Gerard demanded an audience with the chiefs of Benalia's seven clans. The captain agreed and asked Gerard and the crew to step off Weatherlight. Gerard, Sisse, Hannah, Tongarth, Orem, and Squee disembarked and were quickly arrested along with the blind seer, most of them on trumped-up charges for disturbing the peace. Gerard, on the other hand, was arrested for desertion. He hadn't been back in Benalia City since Weatherlight and her crew had left for Wrath months earlier, and Benalia was where he would have remained if it weren't for Sisse's kidnapping at the hands of Volrath. Fucking Sisse, all high maintenance. Come on. Yeah, well, leaders usually are. Gerard had been a soldier himself, and he had left his post. So they were shackled, stripped of their weapons, and taken to the city jail. As they were taken away, the blind seer said, Merry Christmas. <laughs> no, oh, wait, that was the, that was the soldier that, that captain. Was, yeah. I'm sorry. Captain. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> At least I'll have some company for a change. That's good. That's, that's a good one. 
Okay, Evie's getting in here. Sorry, babe. We got cats. Cats. <laughs> While Gerard continued to warn the soldiers imprisoning him and his crew of what was on its way, Baron continued to lead the battle against them. Their goal wasn't to stop the Phyrexians from coming through the portal. It was to stop a single ship from landing safely on the Benelish Plain. But even with Urza's planning and the help of the Metathran and Saren army, they couldn't stop every ship that emerged from the portal. Baron and his forces had to focus on plague ships, vessels that were designed to release deadly spores to kill the flora and fauna in a localized area, mm. which meant that Baron was unable to focus on the several more cruisers that came through the portal. It seemed that the other armadas had rerouted their forces to the third portal, and that's when Baron thought that the Battle of Benalia might be a losing one, which made him think of his wife, Rain. Another losing battle. Oh, stop. Wow. It's R- sad. R.I.P. Rain. <laughs> what is this big beast rock? That's like a, that's like a, one of the plague ships. Oh, it's a ship. Yeah, it's so making it, it's making it, like, my scalp tingle. Oh, it's one of, uh, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah, Ainsley, has, Ainsley has that phobia. The little holes phobia? Ooh. Yeah, the little holes. Little holes. There's holes in the side and there's little legs coming out of it and I just want to get it. I or like to ruin it. Or like a, pa- <laughs> a pan x-ray of a kid's uh, uh, jaw where you can see all the adult teeth under the baby teeth. That's like also it. something that... I don't like it. I, can't, I can never remember what that phobia is called. It's like trippa trippa cum phobia or something <laughs> like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes, it makes my scalp tingle when I see it. Yeah. And then I get kind of rageful like I want to destroy whatever i'm looking at that's okay. making me feel that well, way just get past i'm it. gonna yeah. scroll <laughs> so rain's death had ripped baron's heart out and it was almost a relief to fight for Exeans. it was easier to close a hole in the sky than a hole in his soul stop it oh. hashtag so soul hole <laughs> so sad. and as he tried to stop the <laughs> as he tried to stop the plague ships he watched as several more cruisers glided above the plains heading for benalia city Twenty miles beyond the portal, the cruisers fanned out across the wide fields. They hovered until each of the twelve craft reached its place in, a, in the giant arc. Sending forth sudden jets of steam, they eased themselves to the ground. The final impact of each ship shook Benalia. Gigantic doors dropped outward, forming ramps. At the top of them were poised Phyrexian legions, ready to deploy. Nice. Out marched the first shield troops, the Scuda. They were stooped creatures. Their skulls had been flattened and elongated into wide shields that guarded their scuttling legs. There was little room for a brain in that bony bonnet and little need. The fleet-footed beasts that were bred... uh, The fleet-footed beasts were bred on instinct to rush into unknown territories and flush out ambushers. They seemed giant horseshoe crabs, inhuman except for the vestigial faces, stretched and vacant on their lower skulls. Shoulder to shoulder, they bounded down the ramp and swept outward, sniffing with enhanced olfactory cavities. The next ranks were completely different, grown for brute strength, stamina, and savagery. Bloodstocks had a second pelvis and a second pair of legs grafted across their stomachs. They they leaned forward perpetually, as if in a vicious charge. Steel beams pierced their shoulders, widening them by three feet and providing artifact arms above their natural pair. The bloodstocks pounded down the ramp and tore out across the field. They were fast like wolf, and if the scooter flushed out more forces than they could slay, the bloodstocks would paint the plains in blood. After the scooter and the bloodstocks came row 
after row of Phyrexian troopers. These vat-grown troops were less specialized, with generally human configurations and intelligence. They were tall and lean, with shoulders bristling with horns and faces taut with leather sacks. Oh. I have a picture of that, because that would be interesting to see. The ribs of Phyrexian troopers had thickened into a full torso breastplate. The implants had developed into subcutaneous armor around their entire bodies. Mechanical talons replaced hands and feet because in addition to marching and fighting, they were designed to dig and haul material. The final figure to emerge was the perfect mixture of artifice and organism. She did not come down the ramp to join the others because she was their commander, their leader, their god. It had been part of the indoctrination of these troops that when they looked at Tabo Tavik, they saw mother, ruler, and slayer all. And they do the little cross, mother, ruler, slayer, all, like mm. the little Catholic cross. She was a fully completed Phyrexian with eight mechanical legs, silvery and razor sharp. Even in a crouch, they lifted her torso ten feet off the ground. Fully extended, she was as big as a house. Those are my words. She's a brick. Yeah, right. House. Yeah. (laughs) Between between her spidery legs knelt a great bulbous abdomen with a four-foot-long stinger jutting beneath it, dripping venom, also mechanical. Sounds hot. Above it all rose a powerful thorax, half human and half machine, brown robes draped from four massive shoulders and mantled a bald, young, strangely beautiful head she had once been a fair maiden with ivory skin and supple arms from an unknown plane beauty had somehow only been heightened by the torturous modifications she had undergone on phyrexia i want that story right i love this like beautiful badass spider woman with like a bald head i'm into this yeah She stalked, she stalked down the ramp of her command cruiser, watching as her troops lined up on the plains of Benalia. She loved them as her children and sent the sum of her will to their minds. And we'll just give you the gist of it. Welcome, my sweet ones. Welcome to Dominaria. This is our home. Do you feel how it calls to us? We come here completed and glorious worthy rulers there is another race here though they have ruled this world for these six thousand years ruled wrongly they are the remnant of us they remained in squalor and have thrived here only because they have no natural predators we are their predators we have come to take this world back from the soft-skinned cowering vermin that have overrun it array yourselves my children This is the first great battle of many. Before the sun sets this day, we march upon the center of Benalish power. We march on Benalia City. Hey, if ruling wrongly is wrong, I don't want to be right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, ruled wrongly. That's that's not exactly eloquent, but they ruled wrongly. (laughs) You done wrongly. (laughs) (laughs) Then they marched. The Phyrexians made quick work of Benalia City's defenses. It didn't take long for Gerard and his fellow prisoners to hear them coming. And by the time they'd almost convinced their guard to free them, the building shook around them, and the guard was crushed by falling debris. Oh, no! He's got the keys. Weatherlight's crew was protected by the crumbling structure due to the construction of their cell. 
That being said, they needed to escape pronto. So Squee squeezed his way through the bars. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> pulled the keys off the dead guard's body and unlocked the cell just as half a dozen inhuman creatures spilled down the stairs to the cell. They had claws the size of butcher knives and serpent-slitted eyes. Mm, kind of rhymes. They climbed over the body of the dead guard and charged the cell door as one hero, <clears throat> as our heroes were escaping. Tongarth was the first out of the cell. He charged at two Phyrexians, and without a weapon at hand, he used his horns, twisted in a wrathy torture chamber, to impale them both. Hell yeah. The other two Phyrexians... Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's bad. Yes, he he's, he's like he's been wrong. I'm not as perky as I was before, but I'm still bad. <laughs> <laughs> if there are any Tongarth lines, that's the voice I want. Okay. <laughs> the other Phyrexians faltered at the massive Minotaur, but quickly regained composure and pressed the attack. Gerard and Sisse rushed to the Minotaur's side and began using feet and fists to crush the skulls of their attackers. <laughs> With all six dead. Dozens more flooded down the stairs and into the chamber. By that point, Tabo Tavik was walking the streets of Benalia City, reveling in the slaughter caused by her children. She also reveled in the capture of Skyship Weatherlight. Her forces had found it without her crew and guarded by Benelish soldiers, whom the Bloodstocks dealt violent deaths to. That's when something touched that's when something sad touched her mind, the deaths of her children at the hands of Weatherlight's crew. She was drawn to the ruined brig house, where twenty of her children lay dead. She looked through the eyes of the one still fighting, and was pleasantly surprised to find her quarry. She commanded them through her mind. Hold them, my children. Do not slay them. Neither allow them escape. These are the master's former friends. They are Urza's saviors. The reply came back as it always did, with grateful obedience and as she began to gallop faster to reach the brig, <laughs> when, she, when she reached the stairs, she had to crouch her massive body down to the point where she really couldn't use her size as, as an advantage. She had to essentially slide down the stairs and landed on a rubble pile at the foot of them. Whee! <laughs> she surveyed the scene and spoke aloud for the first time since arriving on Dominaria. Surrender, Gerard of Weatherlight. You will not be harmed by me. My master has want to see you. Surrender and live. You overestimate how fond I am of life. Oh, shut up, Gerard. That's, a... I mean, it's better than you overestimate my power. <laughs> if Anakin had said that. How fond I am of life. He's like, oh. Oh, my power. <laughs> <laughs> so she... The, she lunged at Gerard, and that's when Tongarth charged her and stabbed her belly with one of his horns. She felt a sharp pain and removed the horn from the oily black wound, tossing the minotaur aside as if he were a newborn calf. Then Sisse kicked the wound, sinking her foot into it. Tabo clenched the muscles and her abdomen around the wound to imprison the dark-skinned woman's foot in place her oily blood burning Sisse's foot. Oof. Ouch. Gonna, it's, it's awful when, like, one shoe gets ruined, right? Because then you have to get a whole new pair. <laughs> it's not like the other shoes. Just then you feel bad for throwing out a good shoe. Oh, yeah. There's, like, abandoned shoes all over the city, and I'm sure that's exactly what yeah. happened. It's like one of them got fucked. So it's like, great, I'm going to take the other one off. Yeah, I know. But here. Totally, totally. That's why I always buy the same shoes, because if one gets fucked, I'll keep it. You got spare shoes. that way... I got a spare, like, left or right shoe. Yeah. 
put so. that in the trunk well, for an emergency. That's a good idea. But you are are you are the only person I have ever met in my thirty plus years of life who buys only one type of shoe, and that is the only shoes you have. I have dress shoes. Yeah, yeah. and boots. And I, I, I typically go for a, a go-to shoe. Yeah. Yeah. So like. So like a go-to shoe. So like if you broke a left one and then only had a right one, you could keep the right one for like a future time when I, maybe I, you break another left one. I don't necessarily go that far. I usually just. Ru- <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'm literally saying Kevin buys the exact same shoe he has since high school. Two at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Black van slip-ons. Yeah. No, I, mine are um, the, the Oxford Brown Skechers. Those are my go-to. Yeah. Hmm. That's what Riley nice. usually, yeah. usually has. Real dad shoes. Oh, yeah. I have a billion pairs of shoes. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> As if that was a good. Uh, um, yeah. So, Sissé's, <laughs> one of her shoes is uh, is ruined. Um <laughs> <clears throat> so Sabo dragged uh, Sisse toward Gerard. He took a swing at her, and she caught his fist and hauled him up to her face to gaze into the young man's angry face. This creature bred out of millennia for a single task was as easy to manipulate as a kitten. That's when light filled the brig as the weighty ceiling came to pieces. It dropped all around them, crushing Phyrexians. A hunk of rock knocked Sisse unconscious, while another tore a deep gash in Gerard's side. Only those remaining in the cell were protected. And one deadly boulder smashed Sabo to the ground. The 20-foot slab pinned her legs on her left side to the ground. She had lost her grip on Gerard and Sisse during the cave-in and was now struggling to free herself. Gerard, on the other hand, dragged Sisse out of Tabo's reach and escaped the brig with Tongarth, Squee, Hannah, Orem, and the Blind Seer. That's when they saw Weatherlight drifting above the ruined building. The Phyrexians that had searched her simply mistook the crouching golem for another engine module. And once they finished their search and Weatherlight had healed herself, with Karn's help, he engaged her engines and took off, adding a barrel roll to remove the Phyrexians on deck. Hell That'll yeah. be a neat trick. <laughs> <laughs> when he arrived at the ruined brig building, Karn loosed her anchor and the ship's crew clambered up it with their new companion. Then Weatherlight slid away while Tabo watched. Eventually, she freed herself as only one of her legs was truly inexorable. She used her body weight to yank the metallic leg from its socket and got a taste of the pain her children had just caused. She vowed that for causing it, Gerard had to die. Hmm. And she would get her chance that very moment as she followed the anchor trailing behind Weatherlight. She She climbed up it and latched onto the bottom of her hull while Weatherlight escaped. Fully healed and ready for another fight, Karn took Weatherlight on an attack run for the moored Phyrexian cruisers beyond Benale City. With her gunwells fully manned, she destroyed each cruiser before it even got a chance to get off the ground and pose a counterattack. With the cruiser spoken for, Gerard said, Let's give the ground troops some help. I think we're a little late. She's like, also, I need new shoes. Yeah. That's when Gerard saw Benalia City for the first time since they landed there. He ordered Sisse to take them in slowly. The city had been destroyed. 
While Weatherlight had slain tens of thousands of Phyrexians in their warships, a hundred thousand had overrun the city. Every house poured black smoke into the air. Every thres threshold was strewn with bodies. Some had even been eaten half away, mostly the soft parts. Others had been too badly burned to be consumed. They were little more than tarry skin stretched over black bones. But it wasn't just the homes that were destroyed. Ramships had felled every tower and turret along the outer wall. Some guards had been chewed to a pulp by falling stones while their comrades decorated the remains of the wall, while other soldiers were piked on their own weapons. Weatherlight's crew looked on as Phyrexians roamed the streets like wild dogs, looking for their next prey. That's when Gerard ordered Sisse to slow down and bring them in lower. He saw that even the manor houses had been destroyed and the Capuchin clan chief Radius and his wife Lita were nailed to a pair of tall posts. The soft parts of their bodies had also been devoured. It's always the soft parts, you know. Gerard wanted to kill every Phyrexian in and around Benalia City, but Sisse and Tongarth implored him that there were other fights, more important ones, that needed their attention. It was a tragedy, but it seemed that there was nothing left to save in Benalia City. That's when the three of them noticed a ruckus coming from the port gun amidships. Hey, look, a ruckus! <laughs> <laughs> Gunner Davis thrashed beneath Tabo Tavik's massive spider body. Clutching him, she jabbed a long metallic stinger into his belly. Her abdomen pumped venom as Davis convulsed, falling to the deck. R.I.P. Davis. Man, Ouch. he was my pirate voice guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. R.I.P. That's when Tabo removed her stinger from the dead man and pivoted toward Tongarth. The Minotaur charged in kind, and without his trusty Striva, that's his sword for uh, the uninitiated, mm -hmm. he rammed his horns into the seven-legged thorax of the Spider Woman. As golden oil blood poured over Tongrath's mottled fur, he thrashed his head from side to side, ripping Tabo's flesh. At that, she drew herself upward, taking the Minotaur with her. Unable to remove them, he hung from his horns, trying to free himself. It's got to be scary. Tabo's venomous stinger jabbed at him, still covered in Davis's blood. An inch-wide hole in the end gushed poison. At the sight of it, Tongarth finally twisted free and threw himself into a backflip away from the stinger. Okay, well, now I'm, now I'm taking a sip, Riley, just so you're not. <laughs> I, mean, I, need a, I need a sip signal. Yeah. When his, when his hooves struck the poison slick deck, he slipped and fell backwards. But even with seven legs, Tabo was just as quick. She lunged at Tongarth. Three of her legs clutched him tightly, and he could no longer move. That's when Gerard entered the fray. Also missing his swords, he snatched up a short-handed gaff hook, which is like the... I think it's like what the guy from I Know What You Did Last Summer used to kill him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think that's what, I think that's what that is. So if you haven't seen that movie, I, I got nothing for you. Um... <clears throat> or you could Google gaff hook. You could. Yes, you could. Um, she, <laughs> she, she reared back and clutched Tongarth all the harder while her four remaining legs scratched back at the rail. The force of Gerard's attack almost pushed her over the edge of, the, of weather light and took Gerard with them. 
Gerard hung from the hook and swung his free hand toward her face in a sick counter in a sick roadhouse, cracking her jaw. Ooh. Leaving a gray print beside her segmented mouth, hissing. Tabo slid one of the three legs free from Tongarth and reached up around Gerard. Gerard wriggled the hook loose and drove it into soft flesh above the spider woman's collarbone. Coughing oil blood, Tabo yanked Gerard and the hook loose. The hook snapped through her collarbone Oof. and she flung the man to the deck. Yeah, you know, collar, I shuddered. Collarbone injuries are, are rough. Yeah. Then she crept over the rail, still clutching Tongarth. Getting to his feet, Gerard hurled himself at the spider woman just as she slipped below the side. He swung the hook, piercing flesh again and hanging onto the rail with his other hand. As he braced himself, he realized the one he had impaled <clears throat> he realized the one he had impaled was Tongarth. The Minotaur's whole weight, as well as that of the Spider Woman's, hung from the single hook. Do you kill him, or do I? Gerard stared down into Tongarth's eyes, but despite the obvious agony, there was no fear or resentment in the Minotaur. Then Tabo purred in a voice like summer cicadas. Either way, I win. I have killed your land. I will kill your world. Gerard felt his own shoulder pulling out of the socket as he responded. Even if you win, we won't stop fighting. That's when she lifted her st stinging abdomen, curling it up toward Gerard's clenched fist, oozing white poison. She drew it. Of course it's white. Of course it's white. <laughs> yeah, it's phallic. She drew it up in a stroke and a gash of red light tore through the air. The blast struck two of the spider's legs, vaporizing them in, into crimson dust. Another blast raked across her belly, cauterizing the hook wound. She shied away from that blast, letting go of Tongarth and dropping, wrapping her remaining five legs around her body. She landed among her troops, killing several of them. Gerard, meanwhile, hauled Tongarth up over the rail, wondering who'd fired the ray cannon that saved them. And that's right. It was the blind seer. Hell nice. yeah. Yep. He's like, I finally have some company. I don't want you to kill him. <laughs> then the blind seer reminded Gerard that there were still those who would fight for Benalia. A thousand or so men at the Atrovic Mounds, the Benelish Penal Colony. Is it veiny penal colony? <laughs> uh, well, it's a, it's a thousand guys. There's probably some veins. Yeah. So Gerard ordered Sisse head for the mounds to free the men there. And that's where we'll pick back up for part two of Invasion. Sick. Hell yeah. So next time we're going to find out uh, what's going on, how the rest of Dominaria fa fared against the early stages of the invasion because there were other portals opening up other places, not just Benalia City. Um, and we might even meet some old friends. Ooh, I love old friends. <laughs> and new friends. I love new friends. Some of them are probably going to die. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially the tertiary characters like those two pirate boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they honestly, they were saved just so they could die in the next story. <laughs> and yeah, yep. yeah, that's yep. exactly that's, it. That's what they do. That's what they do. Uh, okay, well, thank you everyone for listening, and uh, Ainsley and Riley, thank you for your wonderful voice performances. Hell yeah! Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll um, <clears throat> we'll be back with part two. Uh, when we do when we do it when we do it all right everybody well um just uh take it easy out there and it's it's good to be back nice to see ya bye now 
Bye, y'all. Forgotten lore.